take a moment and pray. Father, thank you that you do meet us no matter where we are. Father, we want to meet you in these moments. Lord, thank you that you're present in our time of praise and adoration. Thank you that your word is living and true and will reveal things to us, Lord, that we've not seen before. Thank you that we can come to your altar and you're made known to us in the breaking of the bread. Lord, as we hear now, may we be transformed as a result of being in your presence. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in week two of uh, building healthy relationships and, and the importance of that. And what does God have to say to it? What does the Lord have to say about that? And why is that important for us if we're Christians or if we're just human beings? Why are these two things so important? And as a reminder that our God is an incredibly relational God. He's a God about relationships. He's created us in his image, and he created us in his image to be in fellowship with him, to be in that relationship with him. He created man, saw it was not good for man to be alone, so he created what? Woman. And, and, and he created woman to be in fellowship with man because it was not good for man to be alone. That, that we're called to be in these relationships together, this relationship with him. And building healthy relationships will always start inward. That's where we begin. That, that is our relationship with the Lord first. That's the inward relationship. That's where we have to begin on that journey and, and what that looks like for ourselves. When we look for people to fill the void in our life instead of God, we'll never be satisfied. So what happens is we look for people in our lives. If you're dating, you date people in your lives. You're, you're looking for relationships in your lives. And the hope is that relationship is going to fulfill something in your life that only God can fill. Amen. So what happens, it fails. It fails again and it fails again and it fails again because we're looking for that first versus the inward relationship that he desires to have with us. So we're called to come to that place to have that relationship first. Last week I spoke about four signs of a healthy relationship with God. There's four signs of that inward relationship. First is forgiveness. Second is love. Third is communication. And fourth is faith. There, there are four signs that others will see that are evident in your life as a result of that inward relationship with God and where all those things begin. And we're called to be in that place. And when we build a healthy relationship with God first, that inward relationship, here's what happens. All other relationships will fall into place. So where I've struggled in those relationships with other people, where I've struggled in, in trying to build that relationship with others, but yet keep failing, is because I haven't first worked on my relationship with God. But when I begin to build that, it begins to allow me to succeed in relationships with those around me. It strengthens my relationship in my marriage. It strengthens my co-worker's relationship. It strengthens my relationship with my neighbor. It strengthens all other things, but it won't unless you put the relationship with God first, that inward relationship. Now, we've been reading in Matthew's Gospel, and uh, we see this continuation of what's happening as Jesus is outside the temple, and he's teaching, and he's being confronted by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, uh, Jewish leaders, and what they're doing is they're trying to engage him and they're trying to ask the perfect question to disprove 
who he is. In other words, that if we ask him the right question and it'll show everyone else he's not who they think he is. Maybe he's not the Messiah. So they set out on this course of this 20 questions to ask Jesus. And, 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 and it continued from last week. They, asked, they thought they had a great question. They said, is it, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And what Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. And they're like, man, thought we had a good question. So they go back to their holy huddle and they get together. And they go, what's going to be the next question we're going to come up with? How can we, how can we engage and, and, and disprove who he is? How they continue this, this challenge. They continue to challenge Jesus, and they continue to ask these questions, and they figure this is the one. We're going to ask something regarding the law. What do the scriptures say? What has the law taught us as a people? And, and a lawyer who would be an expert on Jewish law is the one who's presented to ask the question. That's what a lawyer was at the time. He was the one you went to who would tell you or interpret what the law means, meaning the Levitical law, the law of, of the scriptures. What does that mean? So he's picked as the next person to go ask Jesus the question. So we pick up in Matthew 22, verse 36 through 39. And the lawyer says, teacher... Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Great question, right? Which would be the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Seconds like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus does is he comes together and he takes from Deuteronomy and, and, and he brings forth this understanding that they would, they would know better of, of what the law says or how they would interpret that law or what it means. He's, he's pulling together the law and he's saying, I'm summing these things up that you would understand that these two things come together. And what he's telling the church or what he's telling the people who are gathered that, that he's putting in order how we're to live out our faith in God. Here's the order of what it looks like. First, we love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. That's that inward relationship that we need to build that's he healthy. Second is just like it. It's synonymous. They come together. It's not separate. It's not, I love God and I hate people. That, that's not how that works. But that, that it's Synonymous, they come together as one command, how we're to live our life. And the second is like the first, you shall love your neighbors yourself. That's the outward sign. That's what's supposed to take place. You know, if we look at the Ten Commandments, the first four are about honoring God. The last six are about honoring one another. See, the Lord knew we were going to need extra steps for honoring one another. That's why it's heavy on one side, a little lighter on the front but that we would grab hold of the importance of that so that we would understand that, that his kingdom or that kingdom understanding that it, it works this way. And Jesus continues, says, it's all summed up this way that you would understand in verse 40. All these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, everything that you've believed, everything that you've read, read in that law, you're an expert in the law, I'm telling you, all of that hangs here. 
All the words that the prophets spoke hang here. It all comes together here. Here's the moment that you need to understand why this is so important as a people of God. See, it's simple. All we have to do is love God and love people. What's the big deal? But loving both God and people is all about having healthy relationships. See, the problem is we've taken unhealthy relationships and we've interpreted that unhealthy relationship to our relationship with God and others. So we've got to relearn relationships. And we've got to build it from first of who he is in our life, that inward. Then, then we begin to build that outwardly because it's synonymous. They come together, loving God and loving people. So I have six keys to building healthy relationships. This is the outward expression. This is what is to take place if we have the inward first. And there's six keys to loving people. The first thing that we have to know is that, that we have to respond to that outward expression. And Paul writes to the church in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, and he gives us this outline for us to understand. And he says to the church, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Put, put those things on. What Paul's doing is he's telling a church that here's what's happened. You've turned from your old ways and your old behaviors and your old self, and as a result of coming to Christ, you've become a new creation. And that you're, put, you're this new being as a result of that. So being that new creation... We have to put some things on to understand. And Paul says, you need to forget those former things, those old things. And you need to put these things on, that, that these attributes are what you have to add to your life as a Christian, as one who would follow after Christ. And the first attribute that we have to look at, that, that first key or that understanding would be compassion. Compassion is this. It's having concern for others who are suffering and a desire to alleviate the pain. That's compassion. Compassion is, 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 is something that, that starts deep down inside of us and turns within us. Compassion is something greater that, that happens in our life of having that attribute of compassion. See, we confuse. We think compassion is when I say, oh, I'll pray for you. That's, that's not the fullness of compassion. Compassion becomes, what can I do for you? When we show compassion to others, it's God's love in action. That's what compassion is. Compassion moves us to become part of the solution to help those in need. In other words, compassion is, your suffering is my suffering. Your pain is my pain. Your hurt is my hurt. When Jesus looks out to the crowd, he has what on them? Compassion. He could have said, ah, feed yourselves, I'm busy. <laughs> or, or encountering someone along the way who needed healing or that holy desperation in that moment. But he was moved to do something about it. That's far greater, that, that it's love in action when we have compassion and showing that towards others. The second attribute is kindness. That, that kindness is how we're friendly and generous to others in sharing of God's grace. 
We've understood this free gift that's given to us, God's grace that's made known to us in our life. And then we bring that grace by bringing kindness into others, by being generous into others' lives. That that attribute is visible in our life as we encounter others. We know meanness. We need to bring more kindness. That we have that compassion. From compassion, we bring that kindness into others' lives. The third attribute is humility. Humility is the willingness to put others before ourselves. That that concern for someone else in our life takes place before ourselves. How do I, how do I walk in that humility? Well, there's a compassion and a kindness towards others that I encounter and that I'm going to humble myself as I encounter them. That it's not myself first, but it's others first. And Paul says, you have to put that on. Then he mentions meekness, the fourth, which is gentleness. Gentleness is to understand, to show mercy to others. It's by showing mercy. And when you're shown mercy, you're getting what you don't deserve. That there's, there's, there's a way that I could look past that situation in your life and I could bring that mercy and how many need that gentleness in their life. That we don't need to be harsh, but we need to be gentle by showing mercy. And that attribute should be visible in who we are when we're encountering others. That we're building healthy relationships with others. We're bringing that gentleness, that kindness that compassion, we're bringing that into others' lives. That's that outward expression. The fifth one is patience. That's our favorite. Most of you picked up on the fact that stop praying for it because uh, the more you pray for it, the harder it's going to be in your life because the more you're going to learn about what patience is all about. But there's something to that. You ever met someone who's really patient? No? Wow. You have to work on that attribute. But those, those people that you encounter, there's just something different about them. There's a patience in them that, that others don't have in a moment. And, and then you, you want to go to that person because they're patient. And patience is, he, he, Paul describes it as long-suffering. And patience is having the ability not to give away to anger. That's what it is. I'm not going to let anger rule my life. I'm not going to respond in anger. I'm not going to burst out in anger. Here's a trick. You take anger and you just bury it deep down inside so it never comes out. I'm just kidding. You don't bury the anger. You recognize that it's there. But, but, but God giving us grace in the moment that, that how do we deal with patience? And this week I had an experience of of, of missing the mark on every one of these keys. That, that uh, compassion out the window, kindness. See, patience was the thing that notified me I had missed the mark. It was a lack of patience. It was, it was understanding because of that allowing anger to give way in my life that I've missed something. And what happens, that, that, that reaction usually will learn this characteristic building through marriage, won't we? And that patience becomes that, that alarm that sets off that says, oh, here I go, I've, I've missed the mark. And I, if I'm at a lack of patience in that moment in my life, I've got to go back to compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness so I can have patience again. 
See, in other words, patience is having a high tolerance for frustration. Now I'm raising the bar. And there'll be a peace in my life as a result of it. See, patience is part of godliness. All of these attributes are part of godliness, and that's what we're putting on in our life. And, and when we have that patience, it, it's going to bring forth as a result of self-control in our life. And then we're able to practice that patience as a result of having it. But we don't just go right to patience. It's a place that we grow to in that understanding of who the Lord is, that we grow in it. Paul goes on in Colossians 3.14, and he says this to the church, that they would understand that they're putting these things on. But he says at verse 14, but above all these things, put on love. Above all these things. In other words, the most important thing that you could do first is put on love. He says, love, which is the bond of perfection. So if you want to learn perfection in your life, put on love. If you want to understand what that means, you have to put on love. And when Paul writes to the church, he's recognizing that there's going to be struggles that, that we want to go back to our old life and put our old things back in. But we become a new creation, and then as a result of that new creation, we've got to put on these attributes that the Lord has given us, and that he'll give us grace to do so. Why? So that we can love others, so that we can be that outward expression of his kingdom into others' lives. And, and love is what brings us together and makes our difference compatible. It's like in marriage. Love's what brings us together, and love gives us the ability to make our differences compatible. And the same way that we encounter others, love will bring that uh, and, and be that very thing that binds us together in those differences. And 1 Peter 4.8 tells us about love. And he says, above all, love each other what? Deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. That above all, that Paul says, put this on first above all things. And it says in Peter that, that we're called to love each other deeply that we're moved in our life in such a way that, that it's because of love that I have compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience towards other human beings. It's because of love I'm moved that way. Why? Because he first loved me. And because he first loved me and for what he did and his love was willing to cover a multitude of my sins. How do I respond to that? By loving those around me. That I'm, I'm changed as a result of that incredible love. And if there's something we could pray is, Lord, teach me to love more deeply, to understand what that means, that we can love each other in a way that you've loved us. See, love is what brings unity with God and unity with people, nothing else. And you want to see a unified people, love will be at the core of that very thing. God's love will be evident. Building healthy relationships with one another was, was the second phase. First was love God, then love one another. And part of what the Lord commanded us, he said, here's the command that you're to live out. Love God and love people. That's, that's the greatest of these commands. That's where everything is summed up. In other words, when we love people, we are loving God. When you encounter someone... By the way, there's a disclaimer in this. This isn't 
the attributes we live out with the people we like. <laughs> this is lived out in all of humanity. This lives out in every human being who's created in the image of God. And that's what he meant by loving people, loving others, that we're called to that place to bring his love into their lives. First, that inward relationship with him, building that healthy relationship with him, and then beginning to build that relationship with others. Building healthy relationships with one another is the evidence that the world will see that we love people because we first love God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, teach us to love deeply, to that understanding for one another, for you. Father, break down barriers or walls or things that, Lord, even um, poor understandings or, or broken relationships. Lord, only you could bring the mending and the healing. But, Father, we don't want to miss what you've summed up and called us to do, to love you and love others. Help us, we pray. Now, that first step of understanding of his love for us is recognizing what Christ has done for us. And if we're failing at those relationships with God, we're failing at those relationships with others, we've got to come into that place of asking him to come into our life. It's allowing him first that begins that transformation where our life begins to have a purpose that it never had before, a greater understanding than it ever would have had before first coming to know him. So he calls us to that place, but we have to make a decision to make we're going to do it. And if you don't know him in that way, what I can ask you to do is invite him into your life that way and begin that journey with him. And if you'd like to pray with me to know him in that way, you're in person or watching online, just close our eyes right now and just pray after me. Just repeat after me to allow him in your life that way. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my heart and I ask you to come in. Take control of my life and make me the person you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you're in person, you're watching online and, and you've, you've prayed that, I want you to let us know. If in person, you can stop at one of the kiosks and a host will be there. Or if you're online, there's a button right now. You can press it says, uh, I raised my hand. I prayed that prayer. What we're committed to, to you for is to get you on that pathway of discipleship so that you can discover a greater love that God has for you. Amen. Peace of the Lord be with you. Acknowledge one another with the sign of God's peace.